0: Well, hello, everyone. This is like every week I just keep raving about my guests. And I know you're probably tired of that. And then you hear the guest, and you go, hey, maybe he's legit on this thing. But uh, this raving is, I can't even rave enough. So I was uh, started in this field. I remember going... I've been speaking for a while, but not as a professional speaker. And I went to the Colorado chapter of the National Speakers Association meeting. And I think I may even mention this when I had Scott McCain on. He was presenting this incredible speaker Scott McCain was presenting. But then my mind was blown by, you know there there are those cases where there is no way you could be the smartest person in the room, no matter how smart you are. Anytime you're in the room with Mark Sanborn, that's exactly what you have. He's probably the most detailed, thorough researcher. You will ever find. He knows leadership inside and out. He's a master communicator. He has stagecraft like no one's business, past president of the National Speakers Association, award-winning author. If you have not read the Fred Factor, you are, you are a heathen as far as I'm concerned. No, that's not quite true, but it really is a life-changing understanding of what we can all do to elevate customer experience. So um, without further ado, I will introduce you to a man who Uh, By the way, the first time I reached out to him and said, hey, I'm a prospective speaker, it took him forever to get back to me. And now that I'm his friend, he could not be more available and accessible and kind. And so when I was a nobody, you didn't care about me at all, Mark. But now that I'm a nobody, you do care about me.
1: I like that. Well, thank you for the kind introduction right up to the end. Uh, (laughs) Um, I couldn't leave it there. It makes it a little more believable. (laughs) All right. So
0: you're everything in a slice of bread, bag of chips, all that. We got that. But let's, let me kind of help people really understand what you're doing. Um, you have been on stage probably more than any human being I know, and if not on stage, on airplanes, getting to the stage. Um, so talk to me a little bit about kind of your career as a speaker, uh, and then we'll talk a little bit about the current state of things and what you're doing in light of uh,
1: COVID. Well, I did spend a lot of time on airplanes until March 1st, and since March 1st, it's been the most Number of days and nights I've been at home since I was 16 years old in a row. You know, I uh, uh, my my marriage is still strong. I'm grateful for that, but COVID has scrambled everybody's eggs, and we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. I started speaking professionally in college. I grew up competing in contests as a kid, and so I was fortunate enough to get paid a couple hundred bucks to speak every now and again in college, and knew that someday I wanted to be a full time speaker. Of course, the problem was I didn't have any particular experience. And so I spent the first seven years in sales and marketing, and then uh, started speaking and training some 33 years ago. And uh, as part of that, I started writing. It's interesting because I always liked to write. I interned at a magazine in college and worked both sales and editorial, which is a pretty unusual combination, but it served me well. And now, um, you know, the point of my arrow is speaking today, digitally, uh, rather than on stage, and secondarily uh, books, and then uh, third, advising leaders and business people on strategy. So, you know, somebody said in in a sentence or a phrase, "What are you?" I'd say, "I'm a leadership strategist."
0: All right. So let's let's go through that little journey. It's fascinating to me because not everybody who can do the spoken word can do the written word. Like those are. I mean, you think if you're expressive and you use words, it all works out. But the discipline of writing uh, alongside of the discipline of speaking. And I, I think that, you know, a lot of people want to be speakers. I mean, it, what a job, right? Like, I'll get up on stage and I'll speak and people listen. Probably twice as many don't ever want to have to be in the public speaking arena. But those who do, there's a real art and craft to this, isn't it? I mean, something you've studied most of your, your life.
1: Yeah, I've always been drawn to it. And it mostly was because I was so bad when I started doing it so many years ago, it really challenged me, you know, if, if it had come easily or naturally, maybe I would have, you know, done something different with my life and career. I think it's important for people to realize though, that, you know, when, when they see a professional speaker like you or me or any of our colleagues, if we're good, we make it look easy. And that's what really plants the seed that I could do that too. But I always say, Being a professional speaker is like going from being an amateur golfer to a pro golfer. As an amateur, you can have fun. You're playing, you know, scrambles and you're playing golf with your friends who are roughly the same skill level. But if you have to make a living based on your skills as a golfer, the pressure increases by a hundredfold. So I always tell people, you know, you can become a speaker. You can join Toastmasters, which is a wonderful program for learning how to speak better. There's, a number of speaking coaches now, actually, probably more than there's ever been. But uh, getting paid consistently, and that's the key. You know, every once in a while, a blind pig finds an acorn, but getting paid consistently to be in front of an audience is a lot of work. And it, it takes as much stagecraft as it does marketing and promotion. So we have such helpful people. Several of them have told us that um,
0: we have a bad echo. Um, and they say you can't really understand what he's saying, which is what I kind of tend to believe to be true about you anyway, but that's a whole other conversation at a personal level. Um, I'm going to just try to figure out where, what the technical glitch is, because I'm hearing you perfectly well, and I have no, no technology that should cause this to echo, so just wanting to make sure uh, it's better, so I'm, I'm hearing the word that it's better. We'll see how that, that goes, because there's always a lag on stream, so you end up with you know, an hour ago uh, it was not understandable, and now suddenly it is, and we'll never know. So hopefully, this will be better for you uh, here, Mark. So, um, okay. So, for those of you who had any difficulty understanding what he was saying, uh, a lot of the messaging here is that art of what it means to be a speaker. Let's let's talk about the art of pivoting and leadership, right? Because uh, you have had to lead your own organization through a major pivot as as a five. Really, we're we're in a business that doesn't function the way it did up to that point you mentioned in march so uh if you'd be kind enough to just share what you've done to first adjust your own business to be successful in light of the fact that things are uh, uh you know not
1: what they were we're getting signals that the audio is much better now so that's i, have well, no idea why. I, hope, I hope it stays better once i start speaking Uh, And that I don't have to go back and repeat everything uh, that I said earlier, because my memory isn't that good. (laughs) All right, go ahead. You interviewed uh, our our mutual friend, Scott McCain. And Scott has an interesting comment. He says that he doesn't like the word pivot because to pivot, you have to turn your back. Uh, I do think that really what we have to do is reinvent ourselves. And that means finding the intersection between our expertise and the new marketplace, Uh, as a speaker, you and I have gone from being on stage to being on computer screens. So early on, you know, the writing was on the wall. It didn't take a futurist to know that you really need to understand the digital platform, Zoom and GoToWebinar and all all of those. What I did in addition was I thought, you know, uh, everybody's going to be using the same technology and, and basically the same equipment. So I said, I don't really want to produce, which is what you effectively have to do uh, when you're speaking digitally, I wanna present. So I partnered with a longtime friend, Mark Camacho, and we created Livestream Denver. And what Livestream Denver is, it's a a full service studio where you can go and get professional quality uh, production, whether it's a Zoom meeting or you wanna do a staged filmed event, And you can do it affordably to do one of two things, either to give yourself a competitive advantage. And by the way, that that would include being an executive, a sales pro, as well as a speaker. Or if you have a meeting planner or a client who says, I want to make sure this goes well, that everything is done right. Well, that's what we created Livestream Denver for. If anybody wants to check it out, it's a work in progress. It's Livestream-Denver.com livestream-denver.com. And I would say we've probably done at least three iterations of uh, digital broadcasting in the little preview or promotional reel that you can watch there. And we continue to adjust because things are changing so quickly. Uh, You know, Joseph, uh, people, my clients have, have said, what's the one thing people want during and or post COVID and the good news is it's what they've always wanted. And that is to be more successful because they did business with you. Now, how they become more successful. I think the palette is even bigger than it was before, because when I did the research around lessons from leadership, uh, in a time of crisis, you know, it was again, no shocker that there's a high level of anxiety simultaneously with a pretty encouraging level of optimism. So if I was going to paint with a really broad brushstroke, I would say that leaders today, a primary agenda item should be to reduce the anxiety for your clients and your employees doing business with you and to find ways to deliver on that optimism. And the optimism part says nearly 50% of the people, especially younger generations, think life and business will be better after COVID. And that's really encouraging. You know, it isn't like this gloom and doom perspective that says, you know, things, I don't think things will ever go back to normal, but I don't think things will go back to only as good as they were. And I think that's good news.
0: I muted myself. Um, Scott McKee doesn't like pivot. Uh, I don't like, you know, the the new normal. I think that it's normally said with this syrupy sort of whining about lack of the old normal. So um, I often talk about better than normal, right? I mean, and I think that you know, I, I had this popped up and I'll, I'll disappear, but you'll see it now. This is actually a free resource that's available on your site. Um, and it is this study that you just mentioned. So, you know, obviously, you know, I, I wrote a book about a stronger through adversity, and it's focused on talking to a bunch of leaders. This is a really thorough evaluation, data-driven evaluation of how people are perceiving what leadership looks like during and beyond the pandemic. Do you want to talk a little bit about the origins of your project here and then kind of what you don't have to give too many more results. You just gave a little tease right there of the perspective of, of younger folks in terms of the future. But are there a couple other, you know, headlines you, you could, you know, talk about?
1: People can get the free PDF at your website. Sure. And that's an executive summary. So there'll be a lot more granular detail there. But you know, I wanted to always do primary research. Uh, Most of us as communicators rely on secondary research, either research others have done or anecdotal research, which is really just observation that you think is true. And I had time during COVID and uh, partnered with uh, my friend, Jason Dorsey, who has a research firm and designed this study to basically see how did leaders do during the most intense period, at least to date of COVID and there's a couple big lessons. And the first I remember uh, having read so well worded by uh, Peggy Noonan. She said way back during 9 11, she wrote a column that says, you know, basically, crisis doesn't develop character, it reveals it. And she said, if you were pushing people down in the uh, stairwells to get out of the building ahead of them, that just revealed the kind of person you were. If you were carrying people on your back that couldn't or were unable, to go down the the stairs, that also revealed. And I would say in the case of our study, it wasn't a character issue, it was a skills issue. And no, uh, we we, we looked across five generations and so we were able to compare. Um, What's interesting is leaders, the highest leaders scored was in communication and that was only a 55% approval rating. So there's a lot of opportunity to learn how to lead manage during crisis. Not surprising in retrospect, the lowest score was keeping morale up. Hmm. And you know, that partly is because a lot of us as leaders, we had to struggle to keep our own morale up, much less have enough energy, you know, to to keep up the morale of others. And that led me to bring in Mark Sanborn to do an uplifting
0: speech at a big, you know, quarterly conference, right? I mean, at least you couldn't be in the same room with a bunch of other people who might bring your morale up along with Mark's presentation.
1: You know, uh, the thing that I find interesting, especially in millennials and digitals is that they're much more, um, committed, inspiration is much more important to them than motivation. And in, in my last book, I define inspiration as motivation of the power of purpose. Uh, that's the intention imperative. And one of the things that, um, you know, I write about in the book is 83% of millennials who get maligned by so many of us. And by the way, Let's all admit every generation thinks the generation after them are knuckleheads. You know, the great generation thought I was a knucklehead because I was a boomer. The boomers thought the Xers, which my brother is one, were knuckleheads. I mean, that's just a kind of a sibling rivalry as it translates. Into and we've all been right, too. We were all right. <laughs> well, here's the nice thing. Uh, millennials play by a higher standard. They would rather do work that makes a difference than get recognized by the employer or the organization. Now, Joseph, you and I are roughly the same age, but uh, you know, as baby boomers, we'd sell our souls for enough money, right? It's like you want me to uproot my family and change schools twice to make more money. Sure, I'm all down. Well, I think leaders today still have to motivate people. People want to be rewarded and incentivized, but the key is is to link it to a higher purpose so that people know not just what they do, but why they do it. And if you have a a, a higher purpose, that will go a very long way in engaging both millennials and digitals to, to feel good about their work. See, when you're. I love about you and I have nothing against Simon Sinek.
0: I like Simon. I mean, I think he did a great job of telling people that we had to start with the why, right? Like that was important. I think you from a strategic perspective, help leaders figure out how do you take that why and make it come alive so that it is incentivizing for whatever generation of worker you have.
1: Well, it's it's about looking at purpose as pragmatic rather than conceptual. You know, every company has a you know purpose, vision, mission statement on their annual report. And it would be telling to, you know, take 10 people from the organization and ask them what the purpose or the mission is. It would put them on the spot, maybe take 10 leaders and it might put them on the spot it's a real practical sense of, of why you do what you do. And in, in, a, in a pandemic, the one nice thing that comes out of it, it, it really refocuses you on what's important. Um, I also think pandemics tend to cause you to reinvent when you've been dragging your feet about doing it. You know, maybe before the pandemic, you know, life was easier for sure, and less risky. But maybe You know, you'd been in a job or doing what you do, whether it's speaking or or the legal profession or education or manufacturing, and you'd lost some of the enthusiasm you had for your work. So you had time at home. Here's my buddy John Cordelli says, God put put us all in a timeout. You had time at home to start to go, you know, by the way, not everyone's going to reinvent, Joseph. I I think there are people in their maybe late 50s or 60s, if they don't have to work, you know what they're going to say? I could learn the skill set, I could adapt, I could pivot or reinvent, but I'm not going to, I don't want to. And I think we need to allow people that uh, freedom as well. I think that's gonna become apparent when we get back to what Mark Cuban calls the new abnormal uh, or or what, you know. and by the way, I I agree with you hundred percent. Whenever you say you know what normal is, you quit paying attention. Mm -hmm. We thought we knew normal was in February. By the way, pandemics have happened periodically every, 80 to 100 years all over the world, but we knew it could happen, but nobody believed that it would. And so we were flat-footed. By the way, I don't don't think there was anything much we could have done to anticipate it. But the point is, certainty has been highly overrated in in life and in business. And the ability, agility and experimentation trump process and systems every time.
0: Yeah, and I think we've come to hide behind this illusion of control right that isn't that thank goodness got pierced i mean there's not much good that's come out of this pandemic in my mind but for me the ability to say what i was holding on to sometimes was totally illusory if it could be wiped out by this tiny microorganism how firm was it in the first place right and i, I think we're seeing that and in my clients that are fortune 500s that were you know, we're never, they were so long away from their entrepreneurial days, suddenly got kind of entrepreneurial, you know, like all that brand equity that they worried about losing that caused them to have 50 meetings. Suddenly they start saying, we got to just get this figured out. We don't have time to go through our normal bureaucratic maze, right? Are you seeing that? And then how do you help leaders feel okay about letting go of the way it's always been in light of what they need to
1: do to survive in the now and the future? Well, crisis is always a refining fire and it strips away, like you said, the things that are less important. Um, I, I've been teaching uh, a program called Leading Forward and central to that program are really three key ideas. And that is number one, you've got to rethink everything. I mean, this really is tabula rasa blank slate time. And when you rethink everything, that doesn't mean that some of the things or maybe even many of the things that you did before, you won't keep doing, but I'm guessing you're gonna do them differently. Or you're going to have to start doing new things, whether it's technology or, uh, you know, capital uh, investment, since cash is always king during a recession or a crisis, you're going to have to rethink everything. And that's hard work. We, we often think we think, but we really don't spend a lot of time thinking deeply. And now we have the time to do that. When you rethink, you've got to then refocus, because here's the deal. If you don't refocus, you'll just repeat what you had done before the the crisis, and it will not be as effective. You know, people come back from planning meetings, and they say to their employees, you know, here are our goals and objectives for the new year. But if they don't talk about what behaviors need to change to achieve them, then they just repeat the behaviors of the old year or the year before. And then finally, the third thing you've got to do is you've got to renew yourself and really come to terms with what I call the you know the big existential questions or the the inner life questions. you know, why do I lead? Do I still desire to lead? Uh, is there a different role that would be more satisfying or bring more gratification? And again, me, and by the way, I'm a cancer survivor and so whenever, I hear somebody says, I'm so glad I got cancer. I think they should be punched in the nose. I'm not glad I had cancer, but that isn't to say that I didn't experience some good things as a result of it. I'm not glad we're having COVID, but I can tell you that I probably Joseph and I've always loved to read and learn. I probably learned more in the last six months than I had in the previous six years. Because I finally had that uninterrupted time to do the deep dive instead of the skittering along the surface that we tend to do when we're busy with all those things that we think are so important. So I always ask leaders, uh, you, next time you have a meeting, ask everybody in the room, what are the three best things that came out of COVID? Not that COVID is a good thing, but what are the three things that you were able to benefit from because of them? And I think just getting people to try to find
0: some positives to build on enables them to build higher, right? Versus, you know, digging the hole deeper and then trying to figure out how are we going to get the skyscraper up, right? Um, so let let me let me tell a story out of school. Uh, and that was that after I saw you speak in, in Denver for the first time, um, I reached out to you to speak for a hospital system. I was the organizational developmental specialist for this hospital. And they were there was a Seventh-day Adventist hospital merging with a Catholic hospital. It was a pretty exciting time to be brokering uh, organizational effectiveness. Um, and, And we had this big retreat coming up and I knew I needed to land Mark Sanborn. I also knew I had a budget that was about two thirds what your rate was. And, and I came to you and I said, you know, I, I, look, you barely know me. I have this great deal. I mean, two thirds was a lot of money for our healthcare system. And, and uh, he said, Joseph, you know, if I'm going to do it, I'm going to donate the whole thing. Uh, and I have a certain number of those that I do every year. And here's, you know, where, where I put my focus and attention on those. Uh, and this doesn't qualify. Uh, so I'm unable to do it for free. So the alternative is you meet my fee. Well, we ended up not using you and we ended up with a lame speaker to be quite honest with you for the budget that I had uh, that I thought was pretty fabulous. Um, but I loved something. I mean, that taught me early on that you just don't give away value and you also do good things. You can, you can do both. And I think one of the things that we often find in working with leaders or being a leader is how do I do good things and be profitable all at the same time? Uh, so I just share that story mostly as a reaction piece. I don't really, you don't need to say anything other than the fact I knew it was you Michelli and I wasn't gonna do it even if you paid me double fee. Um, but honestly, I mean, what, what lessons should people take away from the way you behave, not what you say, but the way you behave?
1: Well, first, before I forget, cause I'm kind of ADD at least metaphorically, you know, you, you've gone on to become a world-class speaker and not only am I, Proud to call you a friend, but I admire the work you've done both as a speaker and as a writer. So, you know, you, you uh, in many ways surpassed the, the masters that you've learned from. So thank you for the kind words, but I just want if people aren't that
0: is kind. Of, but I, you know, I do consider you a brother, so uh, it's okay for you to say nice things about me. Because no, I, I, if we were really, that, good, brother, but I, you, you know, not, I don't know how credible you are, but I, it's
1: okay. for it, okay you To the we, if um, if we were brothers. We'd be you behave before about you, about you were my mentor. <laughs> well, you know, uh, it, it is about uh, uh, about. Hang on a second. There I go. I Lost the screen. Boy, we're having all sorts of uh, technology demons. Um, it, it, hold, it, right, hold on, we have to interrupt this show for a moment because I need to respond
0: to Joe Joe's question here. Because you just uh, you want to talk about ADD. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's go with this. What are three takeaways, Mark, that you would suggest to viewing this segment? Is there a link to review your highlights of your books? So let's make sure we don't miss that out. Whatever point you're going to make, I thought he was asking us to do the three takeaways from your earlier thing. And I thought we'll never be able to get that back if we don't answer the question. Joe, we're going to get around to that question shortly. Sorry, uh, we're not interrupting the program to answer that question. Uh, So back to your answer. So in the specific instance
1: where you held your fee integrity um, and still did good things. Well, first, the market determines value. You know, whenever whenever somebody says, uh, you know, some pro athlete's not worth $100 million, uh, actually they are because somebody was willing to pay them $100 million. Never confuse a monetary exchange with a meaningful assessment. Uh, If you get paid a hundred million dollars as a professional athlete, it's because your employer expects to generate a multiple of that. Now do teachers get paid what they're worth in terms of the impact they have? No, they don't. But again, the marketplace says this is what we're willing to pay for an educator. And regrettably uh, there's often a mismatch. And, And like you said earlier, when there is a mismatch, you often get what you pay for. When you underpay for value, people eventually say, you know, why try or why, why bother? Uh, the, the second thing is since the market determines value during COVID uh, as I said earlier, you know, everybody's aches were scrambled. And so there's been a value reset and I've heard a lot of posturing, you know, about how people aren't taking a penny less than they used to. Well, you know, when you think about what we do, Joseph, I'd much rather be on a stage any day of the week, as much as you like technology, a live audience is always a lot more fun. But if I don't have to leave my home or my office and if I can do two or three presentations a day digitally, the client knows that I'm not traveling, taking two days, getting on an airplane, staying in a hotel, eating, you know, food on the road. They don't expect to pay. Now there are some rock star speakers and and 10, and and the, the prices tend to maintain for celebrities, but I'm not a celebrity, you're not a celebrity, we, we like you know, uh, what we do, but uh, as a result, we've had to recalibrate. And for the beginning of COVID, the single most important question I ask myself and encourage my clients to ask is, how can I be of greatest service? Okay. Um, and not how much can I get paid for it? I mean, after all, we, we had time on our hands, at least most people did. I, by the way, if I write a new book, it's gonna be called Busy and Broke, You Can Be Too. <laughs> the last six months, I literally have been busier than I've ever been, but I've been busy in a different way. It sure. has been the routine of 50 or 60 events a year, but I've been busting my hump. Uh, but I've been using the time differently to answer that question How do I continue to help people be more successful in their businesses and their lives, not because of, but in spite of sometimes the alternative delivery systems? And those are the kinds of questions every company has to grapple with. Grapple with. All right, I'm going to get to Joe's
0: yeah. question, but I need to set it up a bit. All right, so here are four major books by the great Mark Sanborn. Um, the, the one that always comes to mind, the one that kind of, I think, catapulted you to like yet a different level was The Fred Factor. Is that fair
1: to say? Oh, that, yeah, very fair. I would agree.
0: Yeah, and so... For those of you who have not read it, again, I have no idea where you have been in your lifetime but you can make up for it now with the extra time of COVID. You can go out and grab it and The Fred Factor is about your postman Fred. Um, I find this to be every man's guide. Everybody can be a Fred, every man's guide to how to be uh, better at delivering extraordinary, memorable experiences, and caring more about people than than people think you could uh, without doing a whole inordinate amount of stuff. I mean, if I could summarize the book in two seconds, can you talk a little bit about not only that book, but maybe more this this triumvirate of four books? And I think that you know, if I'm going to be holding my uh, integrity here, I think that's going to get us right around where Joe wants us to be. What are three takeaways, Mark, that you would suggest? to viewing this segment, is there a link to review your highlights of your books? So uh, you can give your highlights of your books, which will be one of the key takeaways, (laughs) and you can offer any
1: other links you might have. Well, let's go back to the beginning. I'd written some books before the Fred Factor. They were off radar. They didn't sell very well, if at all. They weren't very well written. I wrote the Fred Factor, and uh, I need to answer the question, why did it sell so well? Uh, it's not my best writing, but I think it resonated because it was a story about an ordinary person doing his work in an extraordinary way. And I'll jump to the end of the story quickly and tell you that the next three or four books I wrote and really all my books I find in retrospect have a, have an underlying theme and that is nobody can prevent you from choosing to be extraordinary. Uh, the Fred Factor established that potential principle, Shows you how to keep getting better, even if you're among the best. You don't need a title to be a leader. Teaches you how to make a positive impact, whether or not you're a titled leader. And the intention imperative is how to have an extraordinary organization, which has five case studies from five very extraordinary organizations in five very different spaces. So the Fret Factor was about a guy that delivered the mail, which on the surface doesn't seem like a particularly difficult or challenging job, but he made it artistry. And you can read the first chapter for free if you go to uh, fredfactor.com. Just fredfactor.com. There's a a chapter there called The First Fred I Ever Met, and that'll tell you the story. Uh, As I've worked going forward, leadership's always been my focus. And I define leadership uh, at base level as making the world a better place for others. If you make the world a better place for you, that's called ambition. and and I've got nothing against ambition. I, I think ambition is fine, but ambition is usually in service of self leadership doesn't mean you won't benefit. It just means others will benefit too. Whether it's your team or your community or your organization or, you know, your alma mater, that's what leaders do. And they don't do it because of their titles. A title doesn't give you any skills in a, in a rational organization, a title, uh, confirms your skills, but it certainly doesn't bestow those skills.
0: What I liked about it, you know, I think when I first uh, picked it up, I thought this is going to be a book about you, you you know, if you're not titled, you can be a leader, but it's really a book about you could be a leader, whether you're titled or not. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the little bit of a twist on it. I thought this was just going to be the inspirational thing for people who lacked a title, but it was like step
1: into it. Uh, The title is irrelevant. Well, the great, the great irony is is most of my audiences are titled leaders, but I always said if I ever reissue the book, it's going to be called You Don't Need a Title to Be a Leader, but if you have a title, it won't screw you up if you do it right. <laughs> that's, that's exactly what you were talking about. It's, it's leadership. You know? The title is, is an accessory to doing a good job at making the world a better place for other people. All right. So uh, let me let me get to uh, some of the other people. We got all kinds of
0: comments going on here, but let me give you this one. Um, I met Mark Sanborn 20 years ago at NSA. I welcome this opportunity to hear him again. Does that make you feel old? I mean, I guess that's the question. 20 years ago, somebody met you at NSA probably hasn't had another touch point with you where they've actually seen your face and heard your voice. Right. Or maybe they have. Maybe they're watching your videos. But but that sense of 20 years ago, I was in the room with him. Well, first of all, it's
1: gratifying, but what makes me feel old is being old. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't make you feel old. No, I just, I just feel like I'm 62 years old. I, I try to keep in pretty good shape. But, uh, you know, if, if you uh, fight aging, you fight the uh, the inevitable because the question isn't, are you going to age? But how are you going to age? Are you going to become more gracious and magnanimous? Are you going to stay as healthy as you can? You know, uh, regrettably, gravity is a, is a you know, hard taskmaster on the human body, but I've had so many great friendships. Some of them were, you know, kind of quick encounters. I've been a member of NSA, believe it or not, for over 35 years. Well, we better because, say what that is. I mean, there are people who are probably thinking we're talking code, the National Speakers Association. Okay, go ahead. NSAspeaker.org. Uh, because I joined in college. By the way, you say, well, you weren't a full-time speaker in college. One of, one of of the Here's one of my takeaways. Learn the skills you need before you need them. So if you say, someday I want to be a fill in the blank. Better golfer, professional speaker, an author. Start learning the skills now. Don't say i to write a book and then try to figure out how to do it. So I joined NSA knowing that, no, I was only speaking part-time then, but I hope to be a, a full-time speaker someday. Good. Well, I put nsaspeaker.org in the
0: uh, notes section here in the comment section. So if you're if you are an aspiring speaker, it certainly is a place have mentorship programs. So it helps you learn the business of speaking to you. So there's all that stagecraft you have to have to really be able to put a story together, hold an audience's attention, all of that. Um, But there's also the business of speaking. I mean, how do you price yourself? How do you cut through the clutter, find your audience, all that stuff. There's really great resources there, but it's interesting to see how someone you met 20 years ago could could reengage in a different time in their life now with you. All right. So let's let's talk about I I talked about your your uh, opportunity for people to get the information from your your firsthand research on how leaders are responding to this. We've talked a little bit about speaking and pivoting. Excuse me. Sorry, Mark. Uh, Sorry, Scott McCain, not pivoting. But what would you call it? Adapting or reinventing? Reinventing. Reinventing. Okay. so we talked about reinventing as a speaker. You're doing more virtual. You've got the you know, you're you're involved uh, kind of on the virtual space with some other opportunities. So this live stream Denver, I don't know that I fully got the value proposition of it. So you and I know Mark Camacho, he actually did my first sizzle reel. Um, didn't have anything he could find to use, but, uh, he still tried to make me look good. Um, so Mark Camacho, I know him as an incredible videographer. What, uh, what is this live stream Denver, Mark Camacho,
1: Mark Sanborn thing? Here's the value proposition. If you'd rather present or perform rather than produce the event, go to live stream Denver. We, I had a client that was going to use me in uh, September and obviously I couldn't do a live event, we built a stage so we could shoot a staged event that uh, they then used in their meeting. Uh, it was a high def, the uh, the bandwidth going up, the upload uh, out of the studio is, is large so you don't have to worry about buffering issues. I I would say it's, it's two things. One, it's a competitive advantage for speakers who want to be a cut above in terms of the production but don't want to invest and all the equipment and the training to figure out how to do it. Secondly, it is a security uh, assurance, if you will, for meeting planners or executives who want to make sure that the people who appear on their meetings digitally appear well. And that's really what the proposition is for. It's aimed towards speakers, executives, and meeting planners. And we can do everything from from a Zoom call to a a staged event uh, and everything in between.
0: All right. So this is a kind of all of the worry-free, great event, fully engaging, high production values sort of partnership then. Um, Yes. You also do some work helping people know how to speak, right? Isn't that a, a product that you deliver to the marketplace? And then we're going to get to... Con- coaching, consulting, whatever you call it, because uh, people get really sensitive. You say, I'm a consultant, and somebody else says, I'm a coach. I mean, they get really fluff- ruffled. So whatever you want to call yourself, you help them strategically be better leaders. So we'll get yeah. to that in a second. But one right now uh, that I'm asking about is just kind of the, the, the speaking deal, right? Like, how is that going? What,
1: how, do you, how do you make that work? Sure, I, I'm a capitalist, so I don't care what you call me as long as you hire me, right? Um, <laughs> it's kind crass, but I'm only saying that tongue in cheek. You know, I help people become better speakers, including professional speakers, and I don't um, uh, market it a lot because, especially for professional speakers, you have to be fairly long in your career because I'm I'm not inexpensive, especially if you're an aspiring or a new speaker. Executives, on the other hand, I can in very short order, not because. I'm a genius, but because I've studied it for 30 plus years, I can help an executive present immensely better by simply showing them a few things, removing a few things. And basically what I'm about is for speakers uh, positioning and presenting and for uh, uh, executives, those kinds of people, helping them craft and design their message and presenting so that's what I do in the, the, the speaking coaching uh, arena.
0: So I love this uh, format that we have because it enables us to, uh, to get to talk to people. I know Jennifer Jennifer and I used to work together at Godiva. I was a consultant wow. to Godiva Chocolate when she was there and she's an incredibly brilliant marketing mind. Um, so anyway, she asks you though, so this brilliant woman's asking you a question, Mark. Good luck. Do you think there are more people with the titles who lack leadership or more leaders who don't have the title and what do you think prevents them from getting the title if they are true leaders? See, I told you she was smart. Yeah,
1: she is. Well, you know, and, and, and the, the glib answer is yes. Although I'm a, I'm an economist by training. So I'm the last guy that throws out uh, an answer as if it were measured unless it was measured. I, I don't know that there are, are more uh, leaders that have titles that aren't good leaders. I, I know we've all, Run into a bunch of them in our careers. John Gardner once famously said, You know, we've all worked for a titled leader that couldn't lead a group of seven year olds to an ice cream truck. So we've all had that experience. I do think in the best organizations, and it's really the premise of, the, of you don't need a title to be a leader. Uh, Philip of Macedonia said, An army of lions uh, led by uh, uh, an army of deers led by a lion is more to be feared than an army of lions led by a deer. So in other words, if you had lions and a bad leader, that wasn't good. If you had a really good leader, even if the followers weren't that good, that was better. Except I think he missed the bigger point. That is that a lion, uh, an army of lions led by a lion is to be feared most of all. So I'm a big proponent of teaching everybody how to lead because, you know, let's go back to the the days of the hotel stay. Uh, 80% of, of budgets give or take a few percent is spent on titled leaders and organizations, 20% on untitled employees. When you go to a hotel, the only time you interact with a titled leader, like a general manager is if there's a problem, but everybody from the bell cap to reception, to housekeeping, to the wait person don't have titles. They have job descriptions. They create the entirety of your experience. That's why we need to be training them how they can add value, how they can uh, persuade and influence. Uh, Because no matter how good the leaders are at the top, they're generally not in contact, even the good ones aren't in contact with the customers like employees are. All right, lightning round. Didn't tell you this
0: was coming, but um, here you go. Just a bunch of random thoughts, don't overthink. Are you ready? That's hard for you. You think a lot. This is gonna be really yeah, hard. Too hard. Too yeah. Random neuronal firing. All right. Yep. Um, all right, here we go. Stout or IPA?
1: IPA, that's an easy one.
0: Yeah, see, and you and I have have shared our <laughs> have shared that experience. All right, so I know nothing about this topic, but uh, bourbon. Mm. That's all the all I'm giving you, is that?
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, <laughs> okay. 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 on to deeper okay. subjects. Apparently, a person needs hobbies, and mine are B and B, beer and bourbon. Uh, I drink responsibly. I make that a point. But uh, the nice thing about both beer and bourbon is is there's something that you can not only drink and enjoy, but you can study and learn a lot from. There's always a story behind the brewer or the recipe. Um, and it's the same with bourbon and bourbon is so American. It goes back, you know, to to uh, Kentucky and Tennessee and it drives the agricultural economy by using staples, uh, you know, of, of of ag production. So those are two things I, I do enjoy.
0: So, so Mark is always wants to be, you know, in, in control in the sense that he's not gonna get, you know, drunk on you, but he is a connoisseur of these things. He just like savers it. And then you go to a restaurant with him and he he has like 20 minute conversations with the wait staff regarding the nuances and ins and outs of these things. So I, I had to go there. All right. Darla,
1: my wife, uh, my best friend. Uh, I am the president of the guys who Overmarried club and she is Southern. I am a Yankee. So I'm in a mixed marriage. Uh, you know, I say I, I've learned to speak Southern. I'm now bilingual. And And I have never had this happen. In my lightning
0: round, other people are participating. Joe's back in. How about this? Fishing captain or mountain
1: climber? I used to aspire, and I did climb, but not very much. I always aspired to be a mountain climber, but I think being a fishing captain would be much more fitting for this phase in my life. I do love to fish. Why is
0: it more fitting for this phase of your life?
1: because I like floating around uh, in a boat, uh, catching fish and drinking beer and bourbon. I mean, it just combines so many of my interests. So I read Old Man in
0: the Sea when I was a young man and I took the, <laughs> I totally read it from the young man's perspective. And then I read it a few years ago and I'm like, whoa, I'm crying because I'm the old dude.
1: You know yeah. Amazing how you shift your uh, character on those things. All right, you're boys. Oh, you know, joy of my life. Uh, You know, I was a single guy till I was 37. I I didn't get married till I was 37. And one of the things I learned is if I had never gotten married and never had kids, I would not have known what I missed because I would have never had that frame of reference. But, uh, you know, next to my wife, uh, you know, my boys bring me so much joy. One is a Marine. One is a rapper. One of these is not like the other. Uh, my, my oldest son, Hunter, is at Quantico right now. He's a second lieutenant, graduated from Ohio State in aerospace engineering. He's got a slot as a, a pilot for the Marines. My youngest son is doing real estate here in Denver. His stage name is Jack Wavy, and he has a bunch of songs online and on Spotify. And uh, they both uh, they both bring great joy to my life. i got to throw in my, my puppies. We have Toy Fox Terriers, and if uh, you're not a dog person, you don't know what you're missing.
0: All right. Uh, which of these books should I read first?
1: Fred Factor. Why? Fred Factor is kind of the, even though I wrote it first, it kind of encompasses everything else. If you want, if you, if you do like the book, oh, I got to tell you this, you'll appreciate this. I, uh, If you really want to feel bad about your life, go to Amazon and read the negative reviews. <laughs> I went I went to read about the Fred Factor and this guy said, oh, this book is stupid. It's written at a seventh grade level. And I, and I wondered, you know, what, what level is it written at? So I took a chunk of text, and it's easy to do. You go online, and you can get an analysis for free. It is not written at a seventh-grade level. It's written at a fifth-grade level. Yeah, so- you're, you are. It's a Hemingway book. It yeah. is. <laughs> it's a
0: Hemingway book. you know, His books didn't do very well either. Uh, yeah. yeah, so let me – Let me close uh, this segment by saying people can find you, get a hold of you at that website. It's probably the the best place to go to better understand that. If they do want to reach out to Helen at MarkSanborn.com, they can do that, or they can use the phone. Think about that, uh, COVID. Uh, And so you can reach out to her at 910-256-3495. My guest has been Mark Sanborn. If If you actually forward this presentation to someone, if you let us know that you've done that, Uh, shared it on your social, I will send you a copy of Leading the Starbucks Way, just one of my books. I'll just send it to you. So let me know that you forwarded someone and then my team will get back with you and make sure that we can continue to Promote the greatness of uh, my wonderful friend, Mark Sanborn. Before, I just to to, up,
1: before, but, before we wrap up, my direct email goes right to me as mark at So well, if you don't bother it, other
0: people, go right to the source yeah, material, yeah. mark at marksanborn.com, and we'll do that. Uh, let me just preview who's coming up next. Uh, oh, got to get rid of uh, the banner for Helen. I really wanted people to get a hold of her, apparently. Carl <laughs> Mecklenburg, a friend of both. Mark's and mine, uh, Denver native, When we were all kind of kicking around in Denver. Mark's still there, so is Carl. Uh, Carl Mecklenburg, a ring of famer for the Denver Broncos. I was involved in a book that he wrote, uh, helping him write a book about leading uh, high school athletes, so uh, student athletes. So we'll talk some about that book and his speaking career as well. Uh, John Spence, who wrote Awesomely Simple. Uh, great leadership mind around simplification. Chester Elton's gonna be on in the very near future. Uh, the one that really got me early was the, the kind of carrot principle, which I thought was just brilliant. And then he's got all these other books on gratitude and all in. Um, so. Uh, be looking for that broadcast coming up very soon. Got to thank you uh, for the openness and uh, for the guests and all that other stuff. Thank you very much uh, for your comments. All of you who participated today, again, if you uh, forward this to somebody you know, maybe an enemy, I don't know, uh, just forward this to someone, I'll send you a book and you can be doubly cursed. All right, enough of that. Thank you all. It's terrific having my uh, friend Mark with me. We will get back together. We had to go a little early today because I have to run to actually uh, practice capitalism in my own way all right with that let's uh, send you off with just a reminder to uh, tell somebody and get get involved with us on youtube